welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey everybody, welcome back to another Knock On Podcast. Hey! <laughs> I'm going to set this down. We're actually, we were debating a podcast and then, well, keep that open. Oh, okay. And um, I'm in Joel, uh, Joel, I'm in Joe Rogan's We can't first. remember each other's names. I called you Don Dudley. <laughs> I called you a bunch of different Don names Don Dudley. <laughs> we did a Joe Rogan podcast and now we're in his pool room and I'm looking at his personal cues. This would be like me showing you my custom-made bows that had importance to me. Yeah, this is super cool. similar. Super similar. But um, is this chalk then, these stains? Yes, the blue is chalk. It's from years and years of uh, use. That's practice. Plan. It's ingraining yeah. into the mm-hmm. wood. Well, see, this is sealed. The bottom part of the shaft is sealed, but the open part is raw. Because when you're playing, when you play really good, a big part of playing good is feel, right? You so, don't want to slip or right. stick. Exactly, right. stick. And I want this smooth, so I want to feel. I want to feel this cue in my hands. And when I feel it, I want it to be nice and smooth. And so there's nothing between me and the open pores of the wood. I mean, it's kind of sealed up t- after use. It's no, not totally open, it. but it's raw. And this one is what? Different woods? What A bunch that? of different woods. Um, oh, Jesus, dude. That was my fault. Um, this one is um, wow, it's beautiful. Yeah, this is my friend Eric Crisp made this. It's called a sugar tree cue. Wow. And it has a bunch of different stuff in it. This is African blackwood. This stuff down here. And uh, so is this. This is African blackwood as well. If any of you out there who have have seen like a very very good traditional archery riser or limbs that have multiple grains, this is on a whole new level of that. Well, this is a, this a is cube. Amazing. Eric Crisp's cue making. Here's another cue by Eric. Eric is known for his use of beautiful woods. Like this is, this is another Eric. Crisp There's cube. multiple ones there. Yeah, this is Coco Bolo, and it has like a Coco Bolo handle, and then I think this is, um, I think this Gosh. is, I don't, I mean, this might be a rosewood, and this is a um, African blackwood. Yeah. Or a mat, it might be a different kind of ebony actually. That's amazing, though. Yeah. Oh, he does this all by hand, too. Eric's a wizard. I actually feel like my bows aren't... They're not worthy of... the. It's a different thing. Because you Mm. play with the same thing for years. I think it's Blacktail makes a traditional bow that's like five grand minimum. Oh, and it does like with beautiful woods. Oh, yeah. Like uh, off the charts, golden lays, all that stuff. Honestly, what I like more than anything is like simple cues. When I play with myself, like my main playing cue. Yep. For those of you who are listening right now, and you hear stuff opening up, I'm li- opening it's up. almost like I'm in Count Dracula's personal lair, and he's like, "This is the cue. He's showing me his coffins that he really likes. This is the this cue is I play neat. with the most often. This is the most simple cue I have as far as like the way it's designed, but. It's Why do you like it though? Because it's a solid piece of wood, and because I operate so much on feel. Like what's important to me is feel. Right. Like, I want to feel the resonance of the tip and everything that goes through the cue, and this is a solid core of uh, African blackwood, and because of that, it makes the cue a little bit heavier than normal. Like some people don't like it, but 
the more loose I play and the more relaxed I play, the more I'll let a heavier cue do all the work and I could be like a little more gentle with it. Like some of the best players in the world, well, they, they vary, but like guys like Efren Reyes or Earl Strickland, they play with a heavy cue. And one of the reasons why they play with a heavy cue, heavy meaning 21 ounces plus, is because when you play with a heavy cue, you like, see I'm holding it like super gentle. Yeah. Like if I didn't have a bunch of balls on the table, I'd clear the table off and show you. But when you have it like super gentle in your hand, the cue's doing like almost all the work, and I'm barely holding it up with these two fingers. It's like yeah, real exactly. relaxed. Well, the thing is, it's a lot like archery. Yeah, very, very similar. Some people like really heavy bows where they can't get them through. Yeah. And some people, some people like really light bows. Yeah. Like me, I actually like a light bow because I'm. I don't know. I feel like I can control it better. I don't feel like. It needs to have enough mass weight to where it's hard for me to move it. I feel like I have more control. And you're the exact opposite. So the same is true in pool for players. Some people like light cues. Yeah, I can play with a light cue. I mean, I can play with a light cue. I play. I can play with any kind of cue. But I generally like a cue that's on the heavy side. I play with a cue that is a 20-ounce cue. That's 20 ounces. That's kind of heavy. It's not as heavy as, like, the heaviest cues that guys play with. Like, I think Earl Strickland plays with a 24 and Efren plays with a 21 but it varies. Some of the best players in the world play with an 18. Like, it's a really light cue, you know? So it's just personal preference, mechanics of the body, what suits your personality, your playing style best, you know? For me, it's the it same. seems like, especially with nerves, a heavier bow is easier to sew. And I think that would be the same thing. Because a pool, a heavier, uh, a heavier pool cue is easy to settle. It's easy to settle when you're nervous. Like you don't, you have a little bit more control because it's heavier. Right. And I think there's probably some a point of diminishing returns with archery, in that. That's why you see a lot of those guys load up their stuff. That's why I always ask you about yeah. that. Like why these guys have so much weight on their bow? Yeah. Like we were talking about that one guy who uh, works for Go Hunt, who uh, is a really good archer, really good bow hunter. And he's been on a bunch of podcasts before, and uh, pretty we talked about him. Uh, Brody Stevens. No, oh, yeah. Brody Wait. Brody Nelson? God damn it. What's Tom? No, 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 no. no, no, no <laughs> we Brody. talked about a lot of No, auditors. Brody, I'm trying to remember his name. Well, you Shit. look it up. But we yeah, were talking it. about the importance of weight. Like, I want to say Brody Miller. Draw, draw weight of your bow, physical weight of your bow. What's the relationship? And this is relative because normally you shoot heavy weight on your bow, heavier than most people because he shoots in the 80s. For pulling weight, but he also shoots a fairly heavy mass weight bow. Whereas with the new bow that we just built you, you're shooting less pulling weight. And what you found is your physical weight of your bow, you feel like it because your weight's lighter, you feel like the whole bow is lighter. Yeah, it does. Even really though does. the whole bow itself is is the same setup. Now you're feeling like because you went to a lighter bow, you almost need to weigh it down more in order to stabilize it. I think in a way, yeah. I think in a way, um, it feels like for me, especially when the adrenaline is pumping, everything feels so light. Well, yeah. And I think... Everything's easier if you're jacked. Yeah. Yeah, you're jacked up with adrenaline, so the bow pulls back light, and it feels light in my hand, too. And um, when it feels like that, it's um, it, it brings me back to pool. It makes me think about pool where I, I play better under nervous conditions with a uh, with a heavier cue. Or, yeah, 
trying to find Gohan because he works for Gohan. <laughs> I know. Find this guy. I'll there he is. Moments away. Moments away. We almost got it. We're here. Yeah. I'm gonna find him. Well, here. for those of you listening to the podcast, Joe and I were just wild boar hunting in Northern California. We had a really fun time. Oh, the the funnest. It was awesome. It was <laughs> Joe amazing. got one, and actually, as we're talking right now, we're waiting for the internal temperature um, of your rear quarters to hit like 160, and then we're going to cover those babies up, and we're going to wait for them to hit another temperature. My buddy Chad from Whiskey Bent, at Whiskey Bent Barbecue on Instagram, he gave us a sweet recipe of because they're wild hog um, back quarters, so we've got two, both back quarters connected. We literally have it cut off right in front of the pelvis. We've got them on there. We've smoked them for an hour. Now we're bumping up the temperature, but we actually have them sitting in a shallow pan of uh, Mexican beer, some Modelo, and chicken broth. Holla. <laughs> so the dude's name is Bro- uh, Brody Miller. Brady, okay. excuse me, Brady Miller. That's why I screwed up. I was confusing Brody Stevens and Brady Miller. I was saying Brady Miller. I'm like, that doesn't sound right, but it is right. Um, and he, uh, <clears throat> he's one of the guys that works. He's the, the digital content manager at GoHunt.com. And uh, he, plays a, he, he shoots rather with a really heavy bow. He hunts with a really heavy bow. I thought that was interesting. And so uh, I went back How and heavy? forth. Pretty heavy. I think he has almost like a pound on the back of it. What in the world? <laughs> <laughs> it's something crazy. I, I, I hope I'm not mistaken. I hope I'm not saying it wrong. But uh, he sent me a, um, a message about it. I asked him, and he was polite enough to reply and, and let me know like how he does it, what he does. So maybe I'll find his um Well, his for message. those of you listening who don't know, let's read this. Joe um, continually asks questions. If you've ever seen the show Joe Rogan questions anything, um, it, the same applies for archery. Joe Rogan questions everything would be his archery um, Netflix special series and he continually asks questions about all kinds of stuff which is pretty much what happened now stabilizers being a big one how much stabilizer weight should I have and um, as Dave Stepp and I talked in a podcast earlier a big part of your physical weight of your bow has relativity to your pulling weight and more importantly for me your holding weight of your bow and when your holding weight's lighter, a lot of times, you know, at least for me, if I'm used to that that weight, um, I like my holding weight to be lighter. And Joe is just, he's used to a lot more holding weight and a lot more physical weight. So the combination between the both not being parallel with one another, you're not liking the lighter poundage bow. This is what, yeah, well, I, I like it, but I like it. I like the heavier one better. Yes. It just it, fit, it fits It just fits me. It just feels like I'm just so used to it, and I shoot so many arrows with it. Right. It, just, it feels automatic. But so he's got 16 ounce, 10 to 16 ounces on the back bar. Yeah. So just on his back to bar. A pound, up to a pound. Yeah. So he uses a B-stair, and he's got a... And you use tenderized. Yeah. I use Fuse. Uh, there's a lot of different ones and a lot of different ones have different options for how much weight you can put on them. Mm-hmm. Now you shoot with a front bar and a rear bar, even on your hunting bow, you shoot the same all the time. I, I personally it. only shoot front weight on my hunting bow. 
Well, you're definitely a way better archer than me. And uh, <laughs> I need all the help I can get. And for some reason, it helps me to have a, a rear bar. I don't know why. Maybe it's psychological. Could totally be. But it also balances out having the quiver on the bow. I feel like when I have a rear bar and a front bar, and then I have uh, that tight spot on the right side, the five, yeah. five arrow tight spot, I just feel like it balances out real easy. It balances good. Sits better in your hand. Yeah, it just feels better. See, mine could be different because I have a longer axle axle bow, so I essentially have more riser too. So um, maybe that's why I've never felt like I needed a rear bar. Mm. I think it's harder to navigate too. I'm really, I'm really into having my bow at the ready all the time. Mm -hmm. You and I today when we hunted, I mean there was. I actually recorded you stalking just because I wanted to show you what you were doing versus what I would do. Yeah, we I'm talked not, about that on my podcast earlier, but you had your bow straight in front of you. And one of the things we talked about is I definitely should have done that when I was watching you. But what I was uncomfortable about was having my bow essentially pointing at the guy who was right in front of me because I was like right behind yeah. him. I just, that broad head was on the arrow. I was in, like, it was pointed towards his back. Just felt too creepy. I would say still have it forward, but have it to the side. Seemed a little too aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> Let's uh, bring this over by the food. We're, we're going to get trapped Let's here. This, this is our roaming podcast, ladies and gentlemen. That's what's fun about it. You can explore the dance floor. Yeah, we roamed all over to Home Ranch. We're walking. Right now we're walking through this um, palace. Date. Marshall! Palace de la Rogan. Hi, buddy. He's got probably the awesomest little golden retriever you would ever look at. He's great. He's awesome. Oh, he's so cute. We're back. We had to had to check our temperature on the grill, and actually, we may get tired within the next few minutes. We just ate an unbelievable inside pork loin and a pork heart and brussels sprouts with thick cut bacon it was intense did we put the heart back on the grill yeah it's on there it's right still now. there yeah it's probably done by you now, put right? it back on you could grab it if you want it seemed a little bit uh underdone i got panicky i went for it you're an animal but but if you, you can do trichinosis you can go get it again if you want we'll it's get it ready eventually. but um no, we had a fun trip, and we were just talking before we hit record again that uh, Joe's kind of got his Jedi lightsaber because we started a year ago uh, with pretty much an evolution, went to a silverback, then you got to the point where you were fine with the trigger, shot a knock to it, then you went back to your simple, what'd you go with? Too simple. The too simple. Um, and then back to silverback again. We shot quite a bit at 90 yards. For those of you listening, we shot, um, we were at a hunting camp together. We did a lot of shooting during the middle of the day at 90 yards. And we shot a magnitude of releases. We worked with our buddy Steve, who had never shot a back tension release or a tension activated release ever. We and had that back tension that Scott Longhorn, but he didn't like it. Right. One with a hinge. And it was, <clears throat> we all were shooting awesome by the end of the few days. It was good for me to be able to 
kind of reinforce some things with you. You and I haven't really got to shoot together since probably Vegas this summer, really. Yeah. And, um, mm, no, that's not true, because we, we shot when we were hunting whitetails. Oh, that's November. Right. So November. Yep. And um, We did a lot of shooting in November. Yeah. It was... <clears throat> You've made a ton of progress, but you also really did a lot of preparation before this pig hunt, too. You yeah, shot a lot. A lot of shooting. That's so important. You just have to do it. it ha it's not something you can skimp on. And I, if I took a couple days off, I could feel it. Like, a couple days off, it would take me, like, a few shots to get back on point. Yeah. You know? It's funny because you take quite a few shots to really get in a groove, some shooters that I've shot with and some students that I have, they shoot really strong to start. And then once they start to shoot more, they actually start to incorporate poor habits. Whereas with you, it's it's almost like the longer you shoot, the more your mind kind of gives into archery and you start to get in the zone of archery and you start to shoot better. Normally about the time where I'm not shooting as much, you're like getting into your flow. Yeah, it's kind of the same way with pool. You know, when I would play pool, I would always be willing to play pool like eight, ten hours a day. And like, really? Yeah, people get exhausted, and I would just start getting my groove. <laughs> <laughs> but like after like four or five hours, I play my best. That's, That's when I really start getting. Do you loose. think it's because mentally you would give in? Um, it's also your body warms up. It's a, there's a real physical connection going on to your actions What's where your mind? body tunes in to what mm -hmm. you're doing. And it feels like that with archery too. Like once I've shot for a while, then my front hand gets really steady. Like my front hand, I can relax it better. I have more back tension on it before I release the, uh, the trigger. And then it's a more subtle controlled movement to get the, the, the release to go off. I feel uh, more in tune with it after a while. It just takes a few shots, you know? It takes, you know, to whatever it is. That's interesting. I wonder how many, I wonder how many students I've had to the point, you know, where I feel like they're almost at a point where they need to take a rest. Maybe they're actually just starting to feel comfortable enough to shoot like themselves. I think everybody's different for sure. Could be. And for me, I do a lot of endurance exercises. Like I'm doing a lot of... Uh, a lot of chin-ups and a lot of kettlebells and a lot of... So it's not fatiguing that much for my muscle. Right. Because it's really only... It's 84 pounds, right? But I'm pushing a little with my left and I'm pulling a little with my right. And it doesn't feel like 84 yeah. pounds. And I can do Well, rows. even if it did, like when I do... If I do single arm rows, especially if I do single arm rows with... Single arm rows with a cable. Mm -hmm. I mean, like 120 is not a problem. Right. Yeah, right. Cable's great too because you could do it in the exact manner that you pull back. Right, because you it's not like actual physical mass weight where it's right. up or down gravity. Yeah. With the cable, you can dictate the, the actual angle of the pull. I want to get someone to set me up like a Hoyt handle on a like a, a machine where there's a cable machine and have the cable come off the handle in the same place. Where is we a hit bow? the D-loop. <laughs> and you just reef on that sucker just with a T-handle? Just get it, you know, put it at whatever, you know, X amount of pounds, just slow contraction all yeah. the way through. So, Because then a bow seems so easy. Oh, yeah. Because once you get past the beginning part, it's always the it breaks big over. let off. Right. Yeah. It's only so, hard for a start. 
Yeah, so that 84 pounds is only 84 pounds for a few inches, and then it loosens up considerably. And I feel like if you uh, got someone to build you something, and I bet there's a company that could do that pretty easy, where you send them like uh, a Hoyt grip and say, this is what I want, <clears throat> and measure your arm straight out, with yep. your full draw from the ground up, and say, this is where I want it, and I want you to right in front of that, I want to attach, like right where the handle is. I want seven inches in front of that, I want the the, the, <laughs> the hand, T handle, yeah, a the, knock to it. The handle there. of the uh, yeah yeah. You could even do it like that. You could have a cable like a steel D loop. <laughs> you can never dry fire it. Now scratch that. You would have to have something that was like well. You could do it with a knock to it. You could just have the knock to it shape, but have yeah. like it doesn't fire. It's just hooked in there. Yeah, it's just a dummy off. a dummy knock to it, and then draw it back. That's actually a great idea. Boy, if you did that, that's that is actually it. Probably be super expensive to get someone to do something like that. But if you could do that, man, that would be the ultimate. Just so people could build up that strength. Yeah, and it would be effortless because it would, your body's so used to that movement with much heavier weight that you'd pick your bow up and you'd zip. It would it would go back like it was nothing. It would yeah. go back like it was nothing. Especially if you practice doing it with control. That's the one thing that I feel like really develop strength is when you're actually controlling that movement mm -hmm. that's marshall having some drinks of water in the background hey marshall you better not pee in the house dude <laughs> everybody's so impressed with you so far yeah marshall let's, let's is make like, it outside marshall the golden retriever he's so cool he's the coolest yeah very cool he he's, really is the he's sweetest he's done now Give he's gonna go chill marshall marshall but um Trying to think where where was I? Okay. Uh, we we're talking about pulling back the bow smoothly. Yeah, it's like one of so, the most important things. Yeah, people just like when you and I talked about how we do pull ups. We do pull ups with the negative. We pull up as slow as we go down. We also do hangs where you're actually using strength to maintain a position. I've talked about scapular pulls where you pull your scapula down from a hanging position and you hold in that position, and then once you're you know, you hold for a certain amount of time, you slowly release back up. That type of control and the control that you that I've learned from yoga is so important to archery. Um, today on Joe's podcast, we talked about a couple different things that how I would prioritize strength training and stuff. And one thing that I feel like now is really neglected in the archery world is yoga because, you know, today when I was, it's funny that I'm going to say that yoga is relating to bow hunting but today um was one of the first times where joe saw me do a stalk and our two methods are very different well you just and, know and what my, you're doing and i don't huh? <laughs> <laughs> you know what you're doing and i don't but you move well, let me just tell people because i have it on video you move like a cat dude big giant dude and you were maybe 20 25 yards ahead of us you weren't making a sound. I didn't hear you at all. Like zero. I don't have bad hearing at all. And I'm like, I'm hearing nothing. Yeah. You're just creeping in there. But with your bow out right in front of you. Yeah. I mean, essentially, it's it's Marshall. like a it's like a yoga move, where you're trying to maintain your posture and be able to hold it in those positions and move as slow as you physically can. I mean, it's like being a sloth. You know, a lot of animals that see in two dimensions, see in black and white, 
they notice movement more so than than color or more so than I guess um, depth yeah. so you know if you can minimize your movement to where you're continually slow I feel like they pick you off a lot less and I'm a big believer in always having your bow ready once you're within a distance that you know you can make a shot at at that point the bow should be forward especially if you're stalking in on an animal or stalking something that's bedded I mean I was always slight tension on the string and moving all the way in until I had my shot and I think people that aren't able that don't have the strength to maintain posture and maintain movement they end up jarring and moving a lot more than normal mm, that makes sense and I think um, I think it helps all all athletics and I think pool or excuse me uh, archery is most certainly an athletic event there's uh, control of the body it's a big part of it stillness relaxation settling in you know, all those things are a big part of yoga. And yoga is so much more uncomfortable than anything else you're ever going to do. As far as, like, the way you hold and move your body. Like, when you're, especially hot yoga, when you're really sweating and you're trying to hold a stance and hold a position. I mean, it's just brutal. Sometimes. How long do they hold for in those classes? If you hear that squeak, that's Marshall. That's Marshall toy. with his toy. You might have to take that away because if I was listening, <laughs> He's I'd be chill. pretty annoyed right now. He's happy, though. I know. If you... For those of you listening, if you're mad, it's a really cute golden white puppy. <laughs> so He's adorable. Just, just the fact that you're mad at him is kind of mean. <laughs> <laughs> he's adorable and he's a, just the coolest guy. He's so nice. And he is. He's such a sweetheart. He's coming over here Come on, to grab buddy. that. Hello, little buddy. Hello. Um, but yeah, I think I mean, we, we droned on and on about yoga on the podcast today as well as Grizzly bears fighting silverbacks, <laughs> and we, we got so silly. It was a really, really silly, fun, fun podcast. The problem is it came off the tail end of a few days in hunting camp where two guys, well, technically we had three guys because um, Steve was with us, our guide at the Tejon Ranch, but we, when you're out there and you're not interacting with other people, you get on subjects that are uh, inappropriate yeah. for consumption. Inter- um, inter- nice inappropriate podcast like humorous. knock on. <laughs> yeah, stop perfect. Me. Don't bite me, buddy. But we did do a lot of shooting. And yeah, we did. I was impressed by a couple things. One, which we talked about on your podcast, um, Steve, who was our guide, he had never shot a handheld release. Or he did. He, sh- he had a kind of a weird release that he got from a shop. But he asked about... Um, we had a Carter Whisper. He had a whisper, but then the one that he was trying in order to not punch the trigger. The longhorn, yeah. Was that, was it a Scott Longhorn? Yeah, it's a Scott Longhorn. And it's on a wrist strap. We ended up getting him into a silverback, working with him for a few hours. And I was able to ask Joe what Steve was doing wrong. And that was kind of part of me hoping that you understand a lot of things that you and I have worked on is you starting to be able to identify other people's flaws the same way as if you sent footage to me and I had to identify something that you were doing, which you did awesome at. And then I gave you a knock to it instead of the silverback and you pretty much were a Jedi with that thing. Well, once you get that feeling of just pulling back and letting the shot go off with your back muscles, it really, it's all, hey, stop biting the chair, buddy. 
it's really all about just getting comfortable yeah. with whatever release it is and knowing how much tension it takes, like how, how far you have to pull to get it to go off. And then pulling it correctly, making sure your elbow's up high, pulling with the back muscles. Like when I do that, I could kind of switch back and forth. And the beautiful thing about the uh, the knock two and the silver back is the the length between where it attaches to the D loop yeah. and you know the the loop your that, finger, finger position yeah it's exactly the same buddy you gotta stop biting the chair yeah you were switching back and forth between the two at ninety we were shooting a we were shooting a standard block target at ninety yards with a crosswind and we were just slapping them in there constantly yeah every single three days really yeah was it two or three that we shot uh we hey buddy stop it was three yeah we shot today too um but practicing at 90 is so awesome because everything's just magnified i practice mm -hmm. at 75 and honestly 90 is better even than 75 it's just one one notch further that extra 15 yards, you wouldn't think it would make much of a difference, but it does. It's just a magnifying glass. Every 10 yards, I think, is like an extra magnifier, an extra magnifier, an extra magnifier. Doesn't Lee Lukoski, uh use a lens? Doesn't he have like a 2X lens? On his I don't know. Side? He may. He may, which, I mean, for a target shooter, he's still six power behind. Right, but it's you a know, little bump. So but he's bump. trying to magnify, yeah. I mean, and that's different. He's trying to magnify the target, whereas we're talking about magnifying your mistakes. Right. Um, there's kind of a difference between the two. So if you magnify your target, because you can see your movement, you can also slow your movement down. So, you know, if I were to shoot um, a Vegas round with no lens... I'm just trying to keep my pin on the whole gold. Whereas with a Havilands and I'm able to see the 10 ring and the X ring, mm -hmm. I'm trying to keep my pin within the X. So you're like magnifying what you're trying to, you know, execute your shot with. Whereas with distance, the further you miss, the more it really tells you what you're doing wrong. So like if you're continually having shots low and left, low and left, and as I watch you shoot, I'm seeing that your bow's coming down, your release is coming down, and you're trying to watch that arrow fly the 90 yards to get there. Because of your whole group being down and away, it's easy to, to tell yourself, wait a minute, I'm dropping my shot and coming down and away in order to watch my arrow, and... You can all of a sudden say, well, okay, I'm going to focus on driving my pin to the target, pulling through, and then as you do that, your arrow starts to find the center rather than go low and left, mm. which was one thing, you know, there's a few times where you were coming down, there's a few times where you really weren't coming back and through solid enough, and once we did those, made those changes, I mean, you know, you're shooting a... I don't know, what is it, a 10-inch plate at 90 yards? Yeah, literally a pie plate. Yeah. Like a paper pie plate. Yeah. <clears throat> it was fun. I mean, it didn't always hit the pie plate, but it always hit the block. And uh, it, Well, the block is the size of a elk kill zone, for yeah. sure. It's a uh, great way, like you said, to magnify your mistakes. And I used to, I was using a lens for a while on that CBE site. I tried that for a while. 
I put a 2x lens on, but I don't know. I don't know if it's the right way to go. I've, I've asked not. you this before, and I want to ask you again because I still don't get it. Explain to me, and I'm not going to ask you this again. Explain to me why extending your sight out is a bad idea. Like when guys have those sights like the Hogfather, like which what I use, and you extend it all the way out, like Lee Lukoski does, Cameron Haynes likes to put it way out there too. What's bad about that? Well, there's a, there's a couple you know, ratios that are important. One, how far your rest is behind your hand versus how far your sight is forward. So, you know, if you think about this candle right here, it's going to fall off. But, you know, <laughs> it's a terrible example. Can't use that. But anyway, let's... let's Somebody get a bow? Yeah, let's grab this knife. So okay. if you're holding this knife here, right? Okay. And I'm holding it towards the back third of the knife. Say I torque the knife, right? Mm -hmm. Is the distance that this rear portion comes over, is that proportional to where the front came over? Because the front's longer. Right, so it moves more. So essentially you would compensate by doing this. You would move the whole site over because you think that's center. So you change everything. The proportion should always be a balance. So if you torque where your arrow is sitting on the rest and where the sight's in front of the pivot point, there's a proportion where if you twist the riser, it doesn't magnify your mistake on the target because the rest is behind the hand equal to the sight being in the front. Think of your pool cue, you know, if you, you know, if you're holding it way to the front and you move the tail over, is it mm -hmm. different than if you hold the, hold it towards the back and move right. it over? It is. It is different, right? Yeah, it is different. And the guys who get really good, they, a lot of them, not every one of them, because everybody's got a different style, but a lot of them start playing with a long bridge, which means from their fingertips to the tip of the cue is much longer than the average person. Whereas some people might want the tip to be short, a shorter distance, mm -hmm. they feel like it gives them more control. Yeah, yeah. He's gonna pee, so let's go outside. All right. Grab that. <laughs> We're on the move again, people. Come on, buddy. Yeah, so that's the difference. And for someone who has a shorter draw length, you might need to have your sight further forward um, than someone with a, you know, my draw length is long. So I keep my sight closer to my bow and when I look through my peep sight, my scope housing is the same size as my peep. Versus the further out you get it, you also need to minimize your peep sight in order for those proportions to stay the same. So, But if you could hold it, if you had it further extended, you, see, you would see the movement more, right? But if you could hold it steadier at that distance and really relax... Yeah. And center, it would be more accurate, right? You would have a bigger microscope, essentially. You can fine-tune your yardage more. Like, the further your scope is in front of your eye, the bigger your scale is. Right. So you can go quarter yards or half yards or three-quarter yards right. versus making two clicks and it's one yard. Two clicks could be, you know, a half yard, right? Right. So yes, you definitely magnify it, but in the same sense, like you said, you have to be at a level to where you're not magnifying mistakes, you're magnifying accuracy. Right. So you have to be more tuned in to be able to do that. So it's very similar to playing pool with a short bridge. Because yep. you play pool with a short bridge, it gives you more control. So it's similar in that way. Yep. Interesting. 
It is. So when target archers play, they only play when they shoot. Rather, they have a much longer bridge. Hey, get down, buddy. Some do. Hey, some much, do. Much longer. Um, Good job, Marshall. Marshall's on, Marshall's checking out Marshall, all the lawn furniture right now. At the present time, we're moving over towards the grill, checking our temp. This is good. We've got the rear two quarters of a of Joe's hog right now cooking. We rubbed them down with a sweet chipotle rub, and we actually smoked them for about an hour and a half on a smoke setting at about 180. And once they hit to 180, because pork is so uh, lean we had the recommendation from my buddy Chad at whiskey bent barbecue if you're on Instagram uh, Chad told us to to put these these two rear quarters in a shallow dish aluminum pan um, we filled it about an inch with beer and some chicken broth actually for the moisture point of view and then we fully covered it um, after an hour and we raise the temperature up uh, to about 400 and now we're waiting for it to climb up to a temperature of about 200 for the rear quarter so that we can put it in a Yeti cure it for a little while slice it and enjoy it so should be insane should be 45 minutes 45 minutes for insanity um, well it's hot. This podcast was definitely not as focused as previous podcasts, but <laughs> <laughs> when you're That's walking nice around with a microphone between pool rooms, uh, kitchens, it gives you a more authentic idea of what it's like. It does. Out. If I had a GoPro on my head, you'd be like, "Wow, this is cool." We're walking around. Come on, Mark. We're Marshall, come on. Hey. Marshall, seeing come Joe on. Rogan in his element with his dog. Very young dog that's crazily well mannered. I can't believe it. I've been around a lot of labs in my day, and I've never seen a yab a lab this young. That, that chill. Uh, that chilled. Yeah, he's the chillest. And here, even close to the sound. This is whoa, pork heart. That's pork heart. Oh yeah. Gosh, that's hot. How'd you get that in there? Mmm. Mmm. That's delicious. That's amazing. That's very good. I'm glad we got that. You know, that's something a lot of people leave behind. But um, I'm a big fan of deer heart, moose heart. What were you talking about? Um, organs. That was totally interesting. Though. Organ meat, very healthy. And a lot of people with autoimmune diseases, uh, they've cured it um, with some of them by uh, switching to a diet that's rich in organ meat, especially liver. Liver is very, very good for you. Mm. Good lord, this is good. This mm. was, um, I took the heart and I slightly coated it with honey. Mm. And then put like a um, kind of a sweet, tangy rub on the outside. That's delicious. It's very, very good. For those of you listening, we're sorry for. Chewing and making noise, but that's how it goes. <laughs> that's how it goes. All right, everybody. Uh, here in a few days, got my good buddy Ryan, Brad, and Dayton Holloway. Um, all knock-on award winners 
they're coming for their grand prize coming to my school for three days and Uh-oh. yeah it's gonna be cool it's some- life-changing Need some live feeds, some podcasts. Should be interesting. Mm. To anybody who's like learning archery and, and trying to get better at archery, man, a coach like John can shave years off your process. And I know you're talking about doing some stuff with people online, doing more stuff with people online. But I think um, I've said this before, I've said it on my podcast, but I'll say it again on yours. What you're doing is super important. For guys like me, it's invaluable. You know, it's, it's, it's really important. You know, it's what we talked about before that um, I think there's, there's very few people that are putting out that kind of instructional stuff. There's a lot of really good podcasts on bow hunting mm-hmm. and even on archery. But they're, what they're not doing is providing the kind of really technical instruction that you're doing. And I think it's real important, man. It makes a big difference. It made a huge difference with me. I mean, although shooting accurately out to 90 yards, it's because of your methods, man. It's, that's really what it is. If I was still just punching a finger trigger, <laughs> I'd, I'd be missing that thing four out of five times. Yeah, the rancher wouldn't trust the cows being behind the target yeah, while I'd be around. jacking cows for sure. <laughs> At 90, that's just rude. That's I'd weird. skip a few off into a cow's butt. <laughs> <laughs> well... That's a perfect way to end it. Yes, perfect way to end it. <laughs> All right, everybody. I've Good got times. a midnight flight. Appreciate it. And uh, Knock on. Knock on, everybody. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com. <laughs>